Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in Nebraska and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Liz Feldstern in Jerusalem, and I am joined by my co-host, Alan Podash in California. Alan, how are you? Liz, I am great. It's good to see you again. Good to talk with you. We had a little bit of time off from the holidays, but now... Mm -hmm. Uh, we are back in motion, and we've got some exciting things to talk about today, because you have an election coming up next week. We and sure do. It's the fifth one in three years, or fifth one mm-hmm. in four years. Yeah, something four like years. That. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I hope that you have some uh, insight into the elections. I'm sure you'll be able to add that, but I'm really interested in describing the process. This will be the fifth one you've done in in several years. I think it's the second one that you'll be doing since we started our podcast. So can you walk through the process of how one goes to a facility to vote and how do they do that? Sure. Yeah. That's a better question than the insights piece, because the truth is, you know, I read the same polls that everybody else does and you can see what's in the papers, but I have no idea beyond that what will really happen um, in next week's election. And with the way that Israeli politics works, even after the election, we won't really know what that means in terms of any sort of governance, right? Because the way the system operates here is that even once the votes are all cast and the ballots are counted, that only hopefully means that we know which party will be given the opportunity to attempt to form a government by finding other parties that want to join them. So it doesn't really mean anything about whether we'll have a government and who will be in it or anything else. So on to the slightly more knowable topic of what is it like to go vote here in Israel? So somewhat similar to in the States, but also some differences. Um, Before every election, Every Israeli citizen gets a um, slip of paper mailed to their home, which tells them where their place of voting is. And it's a very recognizable slip of paper. It doesn't look like anything else. It's almost like it's like a little flimsy postcard with pink and black letters on it. So when you see it, you know exactly what it is. Not just because we've gotten them five times in the past four years, but it's also It's its own unique looking little postcard. And that tells you where you need to go. Most polling places are in school buildings and schools and everything else in Israel are closed on every election day, which is a difference from the states, right? Um, Elections here are considered a national holiday. So all places of work are closed, all schools are closed, and I believe it's still the case that um, public transportation to your home, as listed on your national identity card, is free. So should you find yourself, you know, because of work or army or travel or for whatever other reason far away from your official voting place, you cannot have the excuse that you couldn't afford to get home because your public transportation is free to go to where you need to go to cast your vote. 
So, so let me, that's let me a few things. Yeah, I, go ahead. Let me ask a question on that. So if by some chance um, an individual is in Tel Aviv, but their voting place is in Jerusalem, would they get free transportation from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and back? Um, I don't know about the back. That's an interesting question, but definitely to their voting place. Um, and even if it's further, right? I mean, if you find yourself in a lot and your voting place is in Nagia, right? Like wherever it is, you can get there. Back, I have no idea. That's okay. it. I've never asked that question. Well, let's let's find that one out. That'd be an interesting way to take a vacation. Okay. Well, the government... A vacation to your official place of address. I don't know how exciting of a vacation it would be. If you go someplace else before, then you could get a ride back. Um, so polling places are in schools. And when you arrive at your polling place, you have this, um, you bring your little slip of paper that you got in the mail with you because it tells you also which room within your voting place you need to go to. And that is, you know, there's like six different rooms and you can only cast your ballot in the right room. When you get to that room, you you wait like out in the hallway and you go into the room one at a time. The door is open, but you go in one at a time. And there is, this is very old fashioned. There is a table with two to three people sitting at it. And each one has in front of them this huge binder with paper that looks like the old fashioned paper that printers used to have, like that has holes along the sides that would print like in rolls and rolls of this sort of like white and green striped and <laughs> holes along the sides paper. So it's that. We call that computer paper from the old days. Computer paper from the old days. So with computer paper from the old days, and you hand your um, national identity card, your two dots out, to the first person. They look you up in their ro register or roster, whatever it is. And then they tell the person next to you the name. The, per the next person confirms that, in fact, you also appear on their roster. And then they tell you you can go vote. What does the voting entail? You walk four steps over in the room where there's another table that has on it a cardboard trifold divider, which is, which is your like privacy screen. You can go behind on the other side of this privacy screen and you have um, a sort of tray filled with 40 or however many there are parties in that particular election, little sections. And each one is filled with a pile of slips of paper that have printed on them the symbol or the abbreviation for each of the parties. And you are meant to take one slip of paper from the pile that you want to vote for. And you have to be very careful. You have to check with your fingers that you only have one because if you accidentally take two pieces of paper, your vote will not count. You take one of these pieces of paper, you place it in the blue envelope that the voting person handed to you when they said you could go vote. You 
I believe are not supposed to seal. I forget if you really have to seal the envelope or you're not supposed to. I think you're not supposed to seal it. And then you come back around and the voting person can now see you while you drop your envelope into a big cardboard box with a slit at the top. And this is how it is everywhere. There is no digital voting. There's no booth that you go into and pull down a lever. It is all with this old school piece of paper in an envelope for national elections. There are other types of elections, um, municipal elections, local elections, where each place does their own thing. And I have voted where it's been totally digital on like a little tablet for our very local elections, but not for the national. So let me ask you a question about the the ballots. So you there is no mail-in voting then. There's no mail-in ballot. No. There's no mail-in voting and there's no absentee voting. So what if you're a person who's in the hospital, uh, you just don't get to vote or So I think there are various options for how it works that there's some official person that can go and collect votes and sign off on it. I'm sh- I'm sure there are. Um, mechanisms for, you know, people that are homebound and and for whom going to the polling place would be prohibitive. Um, we What we don't have for sure is a way for people who are physically outside of the country unless they happen to be, you know, a diplomat. But outside of that, there's no means for people outside of Israel, even though they're citizens, to vote unless they come here and do it. So it's a quite an interesting process. I do remember voting in the 80s in a municipal election. I was not an Israeli citizen, but I was a resident of Jerusalem at the time and was able to vote in a municipal um, election. Can't remember how I did it, but um, thank you for giving us the overview of how to pick your ballot. Uh, And so you're not writing anything. You're taking a piece of paper that has initials on it, and that's the party. Yeah, it's printed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a little white. Yeah, it's a little white rectangular piece of paper, probably about, I don't know, two inches by three inches, something like that. And it has printed on it in black block letters the the abbreviated name or the symbol of the party that you want to vote for. And yeah, that's what you put in your envelope. So is that symbol um, used multiple times? So if a major party stays a party like Likud or... Uh, labor or something, whatever, those initials stay the same each time there's an election or do they get new initials each time? There's No, a... no, they do not get new initials. It's confusing enough that the parties have these initials, which have no clear, I'm sure there is some historical reason for it, but I don't know it. They have no clear connection to the name of the party. I don't know why each party has the abbreviation that it has. It's not like just a shortened version of their name. It's some totally different short name so that's a research um, so, project for the next election we should do yes. which i'm, I'm sure, sure somebody knows the answer maybe somebody who's listening can educate us and tell us why these abbreviations exist but um they definitely say the same because yeah it's confusing enough but if you're in, but if you're a new party you get your a new symbol it's not you're not recycling somebody else's symbol uh, hopefully not. Yes, you need to come up with a name for your new party and uh, and an abbreviation for your new party. So speaking of parties, you referenced that when you're at your table, there are 39, 40 cards to choose from. Mm-hmm. That can be kind of confusing for somebody 
if they're just now, you know, voting for the first time, you know, making the connection. So is there a chart that says this symbol is aligned with this party or you just have to so, know? No, there there is actually there is a poster produced for each election that is hung, you know, several copies in each polling place, a big poster that tells you the name of each political party that's running and what their symbol is. It doesn't tell you anything about the parties, you know, in terms of what they stand for or what their platform is. Um, that I guess you have to know going in or <laughs> figure out on your own. But yes, if you know just the name of the party, you can look on the poster and then take your slip of paper. In terms of um, what it looks like outside the polling place. So there is a specific law that um, determines how many meters away from the entrance of the polling place any um, political like campaigning or advertising has to be. And so what you have is that at the immediate entrance of the polling place, they're not allowed to be like campaigning for people's votes, but at whatever that minimum distance is, and it's probably, I don't know, like 20 meters or 30 meters, it's not big. Um, you have like tents set up for several different parties with people giving out stickers or balloons and, you know, wearing t-shirts and reminding you that you should definitely vote for whatever party it is that they're talking that day. <laughs> Um, it's often um, high school students that have, I don't know, volunteered or are getting paid some small amount of money to stand there for the day. I'm sure there are, um, you know, a lot of high school students for whom this is a good chance to make a few bucks, like they're off school anyway. And if a party wants to pay them to stand there all day wearing the t-shirt and handing out flyers or stickers, they can do it. Okay, so now you've voted, and we know just from previous elections that a winner isn't chosen like right away. So mm -hmm. a, party, a party, unless they're very lucky and they get you know sixty one uh, seats right away or sixty one of the uh, majority seats, uh, then they'll form a government. So what happens? And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, after the evening of counting the the ballots, they list the number of votes that a party gets, and then the party with the most number of votes, the president of the country then calls that party to create a government. And then it takes weeks for the government to be formed. I, I think so that that is 99.5% correct. <laughs> oh, good. The only thing I would add is that it is actually not necessarily the party with the most votes or the most seats that the president will choose to have the first opportunity to form a government. If the president believes, for whatever reason, that another party, probably the party with the second most votes, let's say, but another party is more likely to be able to form a coalition 
right? Maybe they have fewer votes, but there are more other parties that are aligned with their ideology and likely to want to join them in a government. The that's within the president's purview. So it doesn't have to be right. So the one with the highest votes. It's usually the two are synonymous, but not necessarily. Right, and we we learned that in the last election. Right. Right. So thank right. you for thank you for that mm-hmm. correction. Um, <laughs> and so all throughout the the campaigning process, the polls are out every day talking about you know who's going to have the majority seats and then who's going to be able to form a government. If my reading has been accurate, there's not a clear um, coalition being created at this time by anybody because nobody can get the sixty one seats. Is that correct? Am I close to that? I think that that, yes, is what most of the polls are saying, right? They, depending on their source, give or take a few votes here and there, they can be a little bit different. But yes, I don't think anybody is expecting this election to be any sort of landslide or even necessarily conclusive enough that it will be clear who should be charged with forming a government and whether they have any real shot at doing that. So. So it will be our fifth in four years, maybe not our last. We'll see. So does that mean that if a government can't be formed, that the current prime minister, Yair Lapid, would continue being the the prime minister? How does that work? So, yes, he would continue in his caretaker role until there's another election um, and a government can be formed. Yeah. Whether there's an absolute limit on how long we can stay in that sort of in-between zone, I'm not sure, but it, but it could certainly continue past this election. Yes. So this has been a very helpful uh, introduction overview of the process. Uh, today we're, we're talking and it's, Thursday and on Tuesday, November the 1st, will be the election. So we will come back after the election and do a a debrief or overview of how it went. Do you have any other final comments about the election or the parties or what's in store? Um, I would uh, just one other little maybe election or politics related Israeli tidbit that I will throw out for whatever it's worth. Um, You know, I think a lot has been said and there's a million Thanksgiving related jokes about how Americans don't necessarily want to talk politics in certain settings, right? Families, uh, it's sometimes a, a banned topic for the sake of keeping the peace. Um, and I just wanted to say that in Israel, even though people have very strong political views, for whatever reason, the sort of cultural norm is completely the opposite. Like everybody here feels at liberty to discuss their politics everywhere. There's no sense of, oh, maybe I shouldn't say what my thoughts are because maybe the person that I'm talking to feels otherwise. So, like every cab driver, Every supermarket cashier, every person who passes on the sidewalk is very happy to tell you their politics. So I don't think it counts as an official poll. But if one wants to walk around one's neighborhood and ask who people are voting for, you can totally ask and they will totally tell you.
That's great. Yeah. So mixing politics and religion is not something one does at Thanksgiving in America. Uh, I will say that uh, I will post on our feed, our podcast feed, an article from the Times of Israel that gives an overview of the 39 parties that you referenced, uh, knowing that many of those 39 parties will not reach the threshold to be to form a, a seat or to have a seat but it's a very interesting document to be able to look, look at the variety of parties that are formed and how one forms them so liz thank you very much for your insights today i enjoyed that and i have a picture in my head of all the little cards that have the symbols on them and you know picking them up and putting them in a blue envelope so we'll see how things pan out uh next week and Good luck with your voting. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Israel Rebound. It's our podcast where we bring interesting topics together from Israel and from the States. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, everyone.